0: Church, good morning. It's so good to see you. If you're in the back, if you'd like to make your way forward to a seat. Church, we're going to worship together so you're going to stand to your feet. Jesus did at the cross for us let's just pause for a moment
1: Lord Jesus was not the only thing that was nailed to the cross on that first Good Friday. We know from John chapter 19 and verse 19 that Pilate, he ordered an inscription to be written and to be nailed above his head. and The inscription read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was not unusual for the criminals who were to be executed to have their crimes placarded before them. Sometimes they wore it around their neck as they walked to the place of execution. Oftentimes it was carried before them by a soldier and it would then be nailed above their head. What was unusual though about this inscription was that Pilate ordered it be written in three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. was written in the language of Athens, Jerusalem, and Rome. Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. This was Pilate's attempt to goad the Jews one more time. He despised these people. He recognized that they had backed him into a corner. They said, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Christ stood before Pilate. As far as Pilate was concerned, another pathetic figure, another would be Messiah. He donned them in a purple robe. He handed them over to the soldiers to mock him. They had their fun. As you know, they placed a the crown of thorns upon his head. They took a reed and they put it into his hand as a scepter. They mocked him in feigned homage. He was a pathetic figure. They took the reed out of his hand and they smacked him on the head with it. They blindfolded him. They said, if you're a prophet, who hit you? And then they brought him back to Pilate. Pilate then brought him out again to the multitude. And said, Eke homo, behold the man. So this is your king. And Pilate knew Christ was innocent. He knew that it was for envy that the chief priests and the Sanhedrin had delivered him up. But he was cornered. And so he finally signed Christ's execution, the death warrant. He said, Ibis ad crusum, you will go to the cross in Latin. And to the cross Christ went. But nailed over his head there was this inscription, Jesus of Nazareth King of the Jews. As a say written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek. Hebrew, the language of the religion at the time, still read in the synagogues, still spoken as the rabbis read the scriptures, it would be in Hebrew. Latin, (coughs) the language of law, justice, government, Roman law, Roman justice. Roman government, the city that sat on seven hills and looked out in all directions had conquered the then known world, one of the greatest empires that the world had ever seen. And of course, written in Greek, a language of culture, poetry, philosophy, wisdom, art, learning. Unknown to Pilate, there was another hand that guided his hand when he gave the order for that inscription to be written. It was the hand of God that decided once and for all that the kingship of his son should now be proclaimed to all the world. In Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Not just King of the Jews, brothers and sisters, King of the nations. The Jews protested Don't write that, they said. Change it. Change it too." he said, he was the king of the Jews. And this vacillating, indecisive man, he stuck to his guns and he said, in John 19 and 20, what I have written, I have written. I'm not changing it. When I read that, it reminds me of Psalm 2. When the psalmist said, as we sometimes sing in that lovely hymn, Ancient of Days... Why do the nations rage? And the kingdoms imagine a vain thing. They say to the Lord, let us break their bands. Let us cast these cords asunder. Let us be rid of this rule. Let us be rid of this kingship. Let us live our lives on our own. And God looks from heaven and he laughs. And he says, I have declared the decree. God says in Psalm 2, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Christ this morning is king. Every song that we sang there testified to that fact. He is king over all the nations, over all the world, over all societies, all cultures, all law, all wisdom, all philosophy. And here, brothers and sisters, in this moment when Christ thought it was just one more derisory thing to do against these hateful people that he didn't like, these Jews, he proclaimed from the cross of Christ. That Jesus Christ was king. He is king, brothers and sisters. And one day his kingship will be recognized by each and every one of us. As Paul said in Philippians 2, a day is coming when every knee will bow and every throat will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We this morning have a wonderful king. In Matthew chapter 12, he said that the men of Nineveh would rise in judgment against this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and a greater prophet than Jonah was here. He said to the Jews, you're looking at this temple and all of these priestly things that are going on. He said, someone greater than the temple is here. And then he said, the queen of the south, or the queen of Sheba, she will rise up in, this, in the judgment and condemn this generation because she came to see the wisdom of Solomon and a greater king than Solomon is here. In Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we have a greater prophet than Jonah, a greater king than Solomon, and a greater priest in temple than any of the multitude of priests who served in Solomon's temple. He this morning is our prophet, our priest. And our king. And we needed a prophet. A prophet brings God to the people. We needed a priest. A priest brings the people to God. And we needed a king. Someone to rule over these rebellious hearts. And here brothers and sisters on the cross. In three languages for all to see. God proclaimed this is Jesus of Nazareth. King. Of the Jews. He's a wonderful Saviour, <laughs> brothers and sisters. He is a wonderful Saviour. Yesterday morning I woke up with that song in my head, that old hymn, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. They're a precious fountain. I don't want you to think I'm super spiritual, boy. He wakes up with hymns in his head. It might be a hymn, it might be Harley Styles, it might be Elton John, just don't know. Yesterday morning, I woke with that hymn in my head, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And even doing the breakfast dishes yesterday morning, I thought I've turned into my dad because doing the dishes, I'm standing singing near the cross, near the cross. Do you know the second verse? It goes, near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow for me. I trust this morning, brothers and sisters, just for a few minutes, that with the help of the Spirit of God, we have brought some of the scenes of Calvary before us again as we pause in loving remembrance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he did for us at the place called (coughs) Calvary. It's my duty to remind you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. On your chair, you've got this little cup. We're familiar now with the routine, but I trust that this familiarity will not breed in us a single ounce of contempt as we pause again at the beginning of another week to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for this blessed privilege, this wonderful opportunity to remember your son, We thank you, Lord, for that day. And Lord, even as we've said, bring its scenes before us. Help us walk from day to day with its shadow o'er us. Lord, we thank you for our Savior. Lord, thank you is so inadequate. We've told you already today, this morning, that we love you. We tell you again, Lord, we love you. We worship you. Help us as we remember our Savior in this simple act. For it's in his name, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. After the same manner, he also took the cup, the third of four cups, the cup of wrath. It was when he lifted that cup during the Passover feast. He said this cup is now the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the remission of sins the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission for sins in exodus chapter 12 the lord promised on that first passover night when the hebrews were to mark the lintels and the doorposts with blood he said when i see the blood I will pass over you. Christ is our Passover this morning, sacrificed for us. Thank you, Lord. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the remission of sins. Paul reminds us for as often then as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth or celebrate or demonstrate or proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me just urge this word of caution, but let a man examine himself. Self-examination again, brothers and sisters, it is urged not to frighten us, but to cleanse us, that we might come, as the Bible says, and confess our sins. For if we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Therefore for me, the Savior, stands shows his wounds and spreads his hands. God is love, I know, I feel. Jesus lives and loves me still. As we partake of this little cup, let's do so remembering that if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Father we thank you again for this cup. We thank you for all that it represents. We thank you for the blood of our savior Jesus Christ. We know Lord that the blood that flowed down the cross was simply an evidence of your death. And we give you thanks for the doing and the dying of our savior. Again Lord accept this humble thanks. And we'll be careful to ask these things in your lovely name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray us. Rebecca and Naomi lead us again in a time of praise. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for every family here, every home and family. We pray that your blessing would be upon them. That we would be conscious that you're amongst us to help us and strengthen us and live a life that will glorify what we have just remembered, our wonderful Savior Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray.
0: Amen. Church, stand and worship together. I thank you for
2: It's your first time, you're so welcome, and I trust that you already got a really warm welcome at the door. Uh, You're welcome, your family is welcome, your kids are welcome, too and just speaking of kids for those who don't know we run a kids space through the whole service so literally our front doors open at 10 o'clock and as soon as you come in with your kids there's a room on your right hand side there where the kids can go in and they'll have their own program through the whole morning right until the final song uh, that we sing of our service so Basically once they're old enough to go in by themselves they can go in there and they will be looked after then and the cutoff for that is P7 so sorry mums and dads but you can't go in Um, so this service is for you we also have a parent and baby room um so it's for uh the parents whose kids are obviously too young to go to kids space but if you'd feel more comfortable in there if you're worried about your child being a disruption or anything like that well then we have that room available um so that room you can see everything and you can hear everything that goes on in the service we want to highlight as well a few things that are going on. If you need to get any information about church we have at a glance which is just in the foyer there as you come in there's a little stand that um, has all the information for everything that's on during the month. We also have all that info on our website livinghopebelfast.com as well as Instagram and Facebook so you are well well informed. I want to highlight a few things that are happening including tonight's Service. So this week, we had an awesome week. We had a, our first ever baseball summer scheme. We had a baseball camp. We had three guys over from Tennessee, and they were just amazing. They taught the kids how to play baseball, and um, obviously, they were very, the kids were very familiar with the baseball bats. The actual ball, they'd never seen before, but... Um, <laughs> learned how to use them and we did a leaders v kids game and we did not take it easy on them so some of them went home really really sad on Friday but we're gonna lift them up again uh, tonight so yes tonight is our special service where we invite the kids and invite their parents and of course invite the church as well. Um, These guys who flew over from Tennessee, they spent $1,500 just on a flight to get here as well as bringing all the equipment with them. That was their sacrifice Um, for you. We just ask that you come and you be the church on Sunday night. You come tonight at 6:30 p.m. and be the church to those who are not yet part of our church so we encourage you to come to that um we also need volunteers we need help um we're hosting a bit of a fun evening afterward. Um, so there's a lot of things going on. Um, see Rebecca Hughes if you would like to volunteer just to give us a hand tonight. We need as many hands on deck as possible. On Tuesday night uh, we have our prayer meeting um, where of course we're carrying on studying prayer. This Tuesday night we begin again at 7.30pm and Tim Bailey is going to be sharing and he's sharing, uh, looking at praying together to you know Prayer, so we encourage you to come on Tuesday night. Uh, we have visions someday in two weeks time um, so that's September the 4th Sunday September the 4th we present the new vision for the next three years just where we believe God is taking us and so we really encourage you to mark that Sunday in your calendar and make sure that you're here that Sunday night as well will be the induction service of our newest elder Michael Totten and so I'm sure he would greatly appreciate your attendance on that Sunday. We want to remind you as well about Hope Conference. Hope Conference is a conference for the ladies and it's happening on Saturday the 1st of October. I've got that date right haven't I? Yes, Saturday the 1st of October and there are tickets available. You can get them at the info desk. We take cash, we take card and your... your ticket includes breakfast, it includes lunch, it includes a donation to Action Cancer, and it'll be a fantastic day. Why not sow a seed and, and buy a ticket for a friend, buy a ticket for a family member? We want to pack um, this place with ladies, because we really believe that it's going to be a fantastic day, and God is going to work something amazing through that. And finally, again... We need some help. Um, We're looking for people who could drive the bus for us on a Sunday. Um, So you do have to have a license to start with. You have to have a clean license. You have to be over 21. You have to have two years driving experience, but yeah, a clean license. We're looking for people to drive the bus um, on Sundays to go and collect some people um, to help them make it to church. And that would be obviously availability Sunday mornings. And evening, and as well, we're looking for people who would like to join the welcome team, so literally standing at the door, saying hello to people, helping out with whatever needs done around the place, but yes, church, there is so much going on, and we're so blessed to be a part of it, and once again, you're so welcome, and we're so glad that you're here. I'm going to invite Pastor Matt now, and he's going to come and bring the word. Church, could you please welcome Pastor Matt? As <laughs>
3: Good morning. Thank you for being here uh, this morning. I'd just like to pray. I'm sure you will all be in agreement with me as we pass on our sympathies and our thoughts and our prayers this morning to Darren uh, and to Billy Devlin and the loss of Darren's mum uh, last week. The funeral is going to be on, on Wednesday at nine o'clock from Seven California close. Uh, but it's good to see Darren here. Uh, this morning Darren and Jane here this morning so we just want to take a moment just to pray before we start father we come before you we thank you for the promise of your word that says you are close to the brokenhearted and those that are crushed in spirit and father we pray for the family today father we pray for Darren we pray for Bill and father the rest of the family for those two that are such an important part of our church family here at Living Hope That you'll draw close to them, be their comfort and strength over these coming days, Father God. Father, we thank you that you do draw close to us and give us the strength and the comfort that we need at difficult times like these. And we as a church, we stand with them and we pray for them today in Jesus' name. Amen. We are coming uh, to the word. Today is my 25th wedding anniversary. And it's Athena's as well. Uh, (laughs) So on the way in today, everybody has taken sympathy with Athena. Some of the comments that people have said, I've been deeply hurt by her, to be honest. I haven't really. I haven't really. The best one, I think somebody said to me, are we opening a book of condolence for Athena (laughs) after the service? Um, That's all right. Just when I've got a thick skin, because you need that to be a pastor. Uh, we are finishing our sermon series uh, that we've been working on through the summer. That we've been going through highs and lows in the lives of the biblical characters. Uh, and we've been looking at different ones from the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament and the lessons that we can learn from them. And uh, today we're looking at Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite Bible characters, he teaches us an incredibly important lesson that each of us can relate to Uh, and we will see this as we work our way through this because each of us has a responsibility as believers uh, to leave something behind to pass on what we have to other people Uh, whether it be our family, whether it be our friends whether it be the people we minister to each of us has a responsibility uh, to pass that on and Joshua uh, teaches us that he had an extraordinary life uh, that began uh, in, in uh, it covers three generations when we read uh, the stories in the Old Testament through uh, the different books. He provides a great example of a man whose faithfulness prompted God uh, to raise him up to lead the Israelites, a million of them, between a million and two million of them into the promised land. He is part of some of the greatest adventures And stories that there are, he spied out the promised land and out of the 12 spies only he and Caleb came back with a positive report. And actually only the two of them got to see the promise of the promised land. He followed Moses, led the people across uh, the Jordan, he was a military leader, Uh, he conquered Jericho and then he began to make progress into taking uh, the promised land. For three generations of his life, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, 30 years in the the promised land. There are examples in his life that we can learn from of his obedience, of his servanthood, of his wisdom, of his courage, of his responsibility. But this is the highs and lows that we're looking at. There is one aspect of Joshua's life. That in a sense that he probably failed it in one major area. is a are very important uh, area. something that, that, that will teach us some lessons this morning. He had no Joshua to follow him as Moses. As he followed Moses. There was no one to follow him. He did not reproduce his leadership. And it has consequences on the nation. And we read these verses in Judges. Which is the book just after Joshua. And it says these words. Beginning at verse 7, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I think that last verse is possibly one of the saddest that there is for any faithful person who follows God that we are called to do the work that we're to do. But it's sad if we leave nothing behind, not just for the next generation, but the people that we are closest associated to that actually we have a responsibility to make sure that actually the church is here today, but it's also here tomorrow as well and into the future. We do not have to go very far in our own land to see churches that were one time thriving and now full having to close their doors. I'm sure there is always much soul-searching there is always the people that will give a spiritual explanation there are the reasons there are even the blame attached as to why it's happened but unfortunately churches close their doors because there are no longer people coming in because there is a generation that grows up and they do not know the person of the Lord the promise of the Lord or the power of the Lord we do not want that to happen here at Living Hope We want to make sure that our doors are open now, and in 10 years' time, and in 20 years' time, and in 50 years' time. I won't be here then, but we want to keep those doors open, don't we? I know we can come with the spiritual answer, which is, we know the Lord is coming back, we know. And until he comes, we have a responsibility as a church. Because we don't want a generation growing up that do not know the Lord. But this is the issue that has happened here. The story of Joshua seems to help us. And it's clear that the work of God and the plan of God is supposed to last. It's supposed to go across generations. We have a responsibility to leave. And it's a word that we hear a lot of these there is a legacy for the next generation for the people that come afterwards after us Joshua 4 we can see this already God worked a miracle for the people to cross the Jordan on dry ground Joshua knew that only those who saw the incident would remember it and as a leader Joshua wanted to leave a legacy for the next generation born after the miracle occurred To communicate God's greatness to the children of Israel. Uh, And for those yet to be born. He asked for 12 stones. Representing the 12 tribes. To be lifted out of the middle of the Jordan. As they crossed. To be built into a monument. So when future generations asked. What do these stones mean? There's an explanation given. That this is the faithfulness of God. This is what God did in the past. It was something to explain to the children in getting the people across the Jordan. And so Joshua thought this was the thing to do, so people would understand. But the reality is none of us want to live in the past, do we? None of us want to talk about the good old days. None of us want to talk about how good it was. You Manchester United supporters (laughs) all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We don't want to talk about you. If you've ever seen the TV programme Only Fools and Horses... There's a fellow in it called Uncle Albert. And he says this, during the war. Do you know what the problem is in our churches sometimes? We have too many Uncle Alberts. They're talking about during the good old days, during the past when this happened. all it is, is just an explanation of what happened. We want to raise up a generation of young people of young adults, of people in this church, whatever age, who have an experience not just of the promise of God, but the power of God and the presence of God. And so we we see that as we learn this lesson here from Joshua, because in spite of Joshua's success of doing the right thing, of being faithful, of being obedient, of doing all the things that God had asked him to do, there's a a verse in Joshua 13, verse 1 and... It's almost God is laying out a challenge to him. He just simply says, you are very old. That's not the most encouraging thing that you can say to somebody, but he says it to Joshua. And a great deal of the land remains to be conquered. See, the promise of God was that they would take possession of the land. That once they had ended up in the promised land, they would then take possession of it. Uh, But you see, a few chapters later... The question is asked again, he says, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors has given you? You see, the people seem reluctant, preferring instead to settle where they are. In two weeks' time, we are presenting the vision, the new vision of the church, for this reason. We don't want to settle with what we've got where we are now if you were standing where I was standing this morning as a pastor and you looked out and you saw the church was full and the offerings are good and things are happening it would be easy to turn around and say let's just settle a bit let's just slow down a bit we're comfortable we don't really need to be so forward in doing what God has called us to do which is winning this community for Jesus But that was a mistake they had made. They had settled and gone into the promised land and said, this is enough for us. This is where we want to. We don't want to do any more fighting. We don't want to do any more praying. We don't want to do any more spiritual warfare or battles for the life of people. We're doing okay. You know, the seats are fairly full. There are new people coming and things are happening. We're just comfortable. You know, we're just comfortable. And yet as we come to two weeks time, as we come to present the vision, sharing the vision is simply just saying to people we don't want to sell. We believe God has more for us. We believe that our best days are ahead of us. We believe actually that we want to raise a generation in this church regardless of their age that experience the promise and the presence and the power of God. You see at the end of Joshua's life he gathers the leaders and the people for his farewell address. Here the people might expect him to name a successor as he had been named. That if Moses had died he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Joshua was raised up. Joshua doesn't do this. Instead he delivers actually two stirring speeches. And if you read they the very encouraging he reminds them of God's goodness and faithfulness. And he exhorts them to follow him alone. And his speech is focused primarily on God's love and faithfulness to the Israelites. But they also include the challenge to remain faithful to the Lord, lest they forfeit the opportunity to be blessed by him. I mean, in a sense, Joshua is there and he's just sharing a a nice, encouraging message. Almost well done. We're here all my life you have been faithful that's why they don't have me on the worship team (laughs) but you can imagine them singing there sitting around the campfire once again singing these songs we've arrived we're comfortable we're settled he's good he is faithful Joshua delivers his stirring speech we're here Keep going, you know. And he ends up at this point where he just shares this. And we see the problem was upon his death. We see the crucial difference between the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. To comparison, let me just read it. The first verse of Joshua 1 says, After Moses, the Lord's servant, died, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. There you can see it passed on straight away. The work of God has to have an inheritance. There has to be an inheritor. He says there is nobody that is indispensable in the work and the kingdom of God. Moses dies, Joshua takes over from him. He's the leader that the people need to go into the promised land. But if you read Judges 1 verse 1, it says, after Joshua died, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who should lead the invasion against Canaan? They're uncertain about who God has chosen to be the leader. Joshua doesn't seem to have uh, looked at anybody or appointed anybody or said to anybody, you're the next man. Maybe he hadn't spent time asking God, "God, who is this person that's to take over from me? Because everything rises and falls on leadership, doesn't it? You know, people turn around and say, ah, but it does, and it does, it does. Everything rises and falls, and somebody saying, this is what we're going to do. Because people naturally want to be led. They naturally want to be given direction. And it's so important in spiritual circles, in church circles, that there is somebody there to say, this is the direction we're going. This is the way we're going. Come with me. Listen, this is what God has called us to do. Come on, let's go and do it together. The judges of Judges won. There's nobody there. Who's, who's in charge? You? You, you in charge? He says, you, no, no, who's in charge? Nobody knows what's going on. See, both books begin with the death of a major leader. In the first case, both God and Moses have arranged for a successor. In the latter case, there was no one to step forward and lead the people. You see, this new generation then drifts from what the previous generation had stood for. John Wesley said this. He said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. You know when you're getting old and you sit down and you look at what somebody younger does, you turn around and say, I would have never done that when I was that age, you know. I would have got clipped round the ear. I would have got smacked. That's that's how you you know you're getting old, because you look at the younger ones and think, "I would never got like that when I was younger." And and you see, what we do is, he says, "What one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces." We can't turn around and blame the next generation because our generation tolerated it. We brought it in. It's easy to blame everybody else. It's easy, but there's a responsibility upon the generation that is here the generation that is now, to make sure we leave something behind that's worthwhile. You see, Joshua's legacy was seen in the godliness of Israel during his leadership. They were faithful in the days of Joshua. They were faithful in the days of immediate passing. But that verse that throws out the biggest challenge here is simply this, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. There were two problems. There eh? was no personal relationship with God, and there was no personal awareness of His power. See, God was someone who their parents related to, who did great things for their parents' generation. It's true, there were things that different generations own, don't they? I mean, if I said to you, Shawadi Wadi, how many people in here would know? Come on, be honest. Look, all the oldies. There you go. Sorry if you put your hand up like Some of the young ones are looking. I've heard of them, but I don't want to put my hand up. The Bay City Rollers. Yeah, look at that. That's it. Oh, I'm not saying the oldies. Because Rebecca Brown put her hand up. All right. (laughs) See, some things are owned by a generation. He says, I mean, we look today, I mean, this might be come as a shock to the younger end of the church. See, 20 years ago, there was no such thing as Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. You know, if you wanted to use a telephone, you know, you had, you had to sort of, in the house, it was plugged into the wall. And if you wanted to phone your girlfriend, you had to buy a 15-foot lead that stretched to the other room. You all know, don't you? I didn't do that. That wasn't me. I wasn't me. Somebody told me. <laughs> that's how gen. And, and, and I seen a video recently and it was like they put these two teenagers in front of one of those dial Remember the dial up phone that so you sort of, you know, and then if you got the wrong number, you had to start all over again, like. And it says, Young ones, get- that's a generational thing, isn't it? It's is like it's a generational thing. And, and you see, if we tie it to this it's awful that a generation grows up and doesn't look at the generation above them and witness the promise and the presence and the power of God because that's why they don't want to follow God we turn around and blame everything else and say church is not relevant and it's not for them actually you know what the younger generation want to see a living faith they see and witness a living faith in the lives of the generations that are above them that they do. Yeah. It's no point us blaming everything else and saying, oh, else. I want to see a living faith. There are people in this room who are in their 80s and they have a living, yeah. active faith. Yeah. It says, and it's a witness to the younger yeah. generation. Churches on, I'm there. Yeah. Prayer meetings on, yeah. I'm there. It says, that's what we give us a witness. That's what was missing here. They saw nothing. And then Joshua left nobody. And so they simply grew up, didn't know what to look for, didn't know what to do. And the following verse that it says in Judges, they each did evil in the sight of God following Baal. Why? Because they didn't know what direction to go. See, we can understand why, and I've said this, where the parents had witnessed the crossing of the Jordan and the defeat of Jericho... They had settled in the land and rather than continue on to claim what God had for them, they had done three things. The first one, they disregarded God's directions. They hadn't taken possession of what God had promised them. I tell you this now, I'm going to take possession of what God has promised us as a church. And it's to inherit the lives of people who don't know Jesus yet. That's our inheritance. That's what we want to do to win those people. And so we can stop and say, we're just doing all right. Let's settle here. It's just comfortable. We have a good name as a church and it's fairly full and, you know, the offering's good and all things are happening and kids are coming in and, you know, we have a good name for ourselves. And so we miss the possession of the promise, because we've simply stopped and settled the second thing is we've negotiated some deals this is what the people did instead of driving the people out the land that god had promised them they negotiated some things ah this doesn't matter or that doesn't matter it's not important to do this it's not important everybody just do their own thing let's negotiate with these people Sure, God loves everybody. Why stand against anything that people want to live for if we're calling it love or, you know, sort have of negotiated some deals. And the third thing they did was they compromised on some matters. And the things, and compromise has to happen in life, we know that. But there were some things we just simply can't compromise on. There are some things that are so important, there is no compromise. Because God has promised us the possession Uh, And so therefore we have to do that. We have to take what God has promised us. There is no compromise on those matters. But that's where they had fallen here. They had settled for what they had. Become comfortable. Lost their fight. And ignored their purpose. Years down the line. They looked and they seen. There arose a generation. Who did not know the great works of the Lord. Which had been done. For Israel. See, the next generation always reaps the painful results of the neglect and compromise of the previous generation. Rather than blaming them and stuff, we look at ourselves and say, hold on a second, are they seeing the presence of God? Are they seeing the power of God? Are they seeing the promise of God? Recently, the Commonwealth Games was on, and it was in my home city of Birmingham. And to represent Birmingham, they made a big metal ball. You'll only understand that if you're from Birmingham. But there was uh, the athletics, and I think the World Championships was on, and I have an interest in all sports. But I was watching it, I was watching the relay, the sprinting. And it was fascinating, uh, because it's one of the only events that they have to depend and rely on other people, It does not matter how fast you are if the person next to you runs like me. That's the truth of it. That's what you're all thinking. In a relay race, all four runners have to be important. They're important. They're all part of the team. It's in all the other individual stuff that they do. It's all about their ability and their speed and their talent and their ability. As yet, when it comes to the relay race, you have to rely on other people. You have a, a baton, or baton for you posh people. <laughs> you have to pass this between the runners. There's four of them. If you drop it, you're disqualified. If you run out of your lane during the baton pass, it says you're Disqualified. You'll be disqualified if you run ahead of the person in front of you. If you run out of the zone where you're supposed to change the baton, you know what happens? You're disqualified. If you cross the finishing line without the baton, it says you'll be disqualified. you are getting the idea, aren't you? There isn't much room for error, yet you are so dependent on the other runners. No matter how fast I am, or somebody else's, you are depending upon the speed of the other people. And so what we're going to do we're going to have a demonstration this morning, because we're, we're going to show you this. So I picked four people. I picked three people. I haven't told them yet. <laughs> Where's Jackie McCoby? Come on, Jackie. Come on, Miss Come on, Rebecca. Keep it equal, rather. Come on, stand up here. This is the Living Hope Relay Team. This is us. This is us. Now, I didn't pick on Jackie because I was faster than him. Because uh, (laughs) he says, what we are going to do? Jackie, you are number one. Listen, you are, in the Relay Team, you are, you'll understand why I picked Jackie, because the first runner is always Mr. Steady, Mr. Dependable, and Mr. Consistent. Now, Jackie, do you know anybody out here, are you, give a
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> This is why, he is the steady, not necessarily the quickest. And Jackie, when, the, when, the, when, the, when they shoot the gun, to be honest, we didn't get a real gun today, because last week it was baseball bats. <laughs> if we got guns this week to start the race, people would start to wonder what's going on live living hope. So, Jackie, when we start the race, you have to pass the baton to me. Okay. Now, the second and third ones, we're the loudest ones. <laughs> really encourage us. We're the ones... That, now, we've got the hard job because we not only have to take the baton, but we have to pass it on as well. Mm-hmm. See those two? It's easy. <laughs> they, they don't have to, They got the easy bit. Okay, so... Maybe, and then the last one... Now I want you to imagine here is the fastest one. Just use your imagination. <laughs> so apparently Rebecca was quite quick at school, wasn't she, Jim? Yeah. Usually when she was playing truant. Okay, so. <laughs> so Rebecca is the final one. Okay? And you're the one that brings us home, okay? So we're gonna practice now. Now now now, now listen, just to get us in the mood, right? Just to get us in the mood, just Noah hit it. <laughs> Yes, sit in the mood. Are we ready? Just a stretch a bit. Get ready. Get ready. Keep going. Are we ready? Okay. Are we ready? So, what happens when the uh, Thanks, no, no, All right. No, all right. <laughs> 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 so, when we say go, he says Jackie's going to pass the baton to me. and I'm going to pass it to me. I've got to be far to run and then to Beggar. So, Jackie, I'm now. Jackie, I'm my hand is. <laughs> Which hand do you want it in? The left hand. Yeah, yeah. You're confusing me. What? All right. Okay. Well, you you, you? I don't know. We're not matter anyway. We're not going to pass the stage.
4: Right. <laughs> there
3: we go. So, on your backs. Ready with music. On your backs. <laughs> Get sick, Go. Well, well, well. <laughs> That's a fairly easy thing now. This is the problem with churches if we apply it to this. See, Jaggy, Mr. Faithful, Dependable, he's sinned 50 years of church. He still loves what's going on in church. He does not have a problem to pass that baton on. Because he loves to see what's happening. This is a stop he's been praying for for years. And the church would be full. But still 50 years later, he's part of a church where God is moving. He passes it on to me. Now my generation is the problem. I tell you why we're the problem. I'm not the problem. Our generation is. We get the baton, and we do this. We get it, and then we say, "I can't hand it on. He, he, they're not ready for it." This is no. This is not. No. This is mine. I'm still the one that. Can, and so I don't pass it on. You see, my responsibility is this because we are stewards of what God gives us, but not owners of it. Yeah. I pass it on to the next generation because i have a generation to win. But if I keep hold of that and say, actually, Reese, get out of the way. I'm running through. And I come and I pass it on to the last person. I've missed the point of what God is trying to do. Yeah. He says, what I do is this is I pass it on. It's not my responsibility. It's not my duty to decide because he's a generation to win and he's sinner." I have a generation to win and I'm working at it. I pass it on because he's a generation to win to see it. And then he runs with the baton and he passes it on to the person and he says, That's another generation to win. Each of us playing our part. Yeah. And when me and Jackie have run our bit, we don't do this and say, Now you probably have to get us oxygen, but <laughs> we don't stand here and say, Well done, Jackie, that was a good one. Well, the race is running around right there says, we don't stand with do Jackie, you did all right there. says, I ran okay as well. We've done our bit. do you know what we do? We go to the finishing line. And as we go to the finishing line, we're cheering on the next generation that's coming through. We're standing there, shouting, Come on, bring it home, bring it home. Because all of this matters along the different points of the relay race. They missed it in Joshua because they didn't pass it on. Let's not miss it in Living Hope have the battle. Thank you to these three here. There will come a day as we get older, there will come a day where one day I will be old and grey and I will go to bed in a nursing home one day, push myself out of a wheelchair into a Zimmer frame, take my teeth out, put them next to my hearing aid. I think I'm already doing that. And somebody will mention the work of Living Hope 25 30 years from now and you know what i will do i will rejoice in what god is doing knowing that we were part of the seed planting of the generation that meant the doors of this church stayed open that actually we continued doing what god had called us to do because it would be a sad day if the doors of these churches had to close because nobody was coming anymore See, Joshua did this, and I think this is important, and it helps us, and with this we finish. See, Joshua thought it was about what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. How true is that? What is woven into the lives of others. Monuments are dead. They're dead. They just recognize something that has been done. Inheritance of God is what he's doing in the lives of each and every one of us. So we have something to pass on, one to the other. That's the highs and lows of the story of Joshua. Let's just take a moment to pray. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet because this is is important. Father, we come before you. Father, we love what you're doing in our church. We're thankful for the lives that are being saved. We're thankful for the lives that are being changed. We thank you for the freedom that people are experiencing in their walk with you. But Father, help us as a church not to settle for what we have because we believe you have so much more for us. That, Father, we have a community to win for you. Outside the doors of this church is our mission. Father, we will keep going until we've knocked every door, till we've told every person about Jesus, till we've taken possession of the promise that you have given us, Father. This church will be the brightest light in this community. It will be a place where the hurting can come and they will give you an opportunity to heal them. It will be a place, Father God, that people know they could be part of the family here, Lord. Father, help us not to settle, not to be comfortable, not to just say, we've done enough, we've had enough, it's too hard but Father we just come today and say Lord we want to fulfill what you've called us to do and Father we raise our hands and say Lord use us use us as your people in Jesus wonderful name Amen
0: May his favor be
5: upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children In their children, in their children, may his favor.
0: building, and that they will build up people, and that they will build up people who will just walk in your presence and in your power, so then we see lives being changed in this church, lives being changed in this community. God, we thank you for this word today. We thank you for the challenge brought to us. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in this place already, God.